Kleiner Disclaimer am Anfang, die erste Folge des Podcasts wird auf Englisch stattfinden, weil ich meinen College-Dozenten in Dublin interviewe. Wir sprechen unter anderem darüber, warum Mentoring gerade am Anfang der Karriere sinnvoll sein kann und was Robert rückblickend in seiner Karriere anders machen würde. Also schon mal sorry for the German accent und viel Spaß bei der ersten Folge Your Way. My guest today is Robert Farrell. I had the pleasure to meet him as he's my lecturer at college in Dublin. Without him knowing, he encouraged me to take the digital marketing module and I see him as a very inspiring personality who I was lucky to cross paths with. Thank you so much, Rob, for being part of this very first podcast episode. Um, how are you holding up? I'm doing pretty well, Julia. Thanks for bringing me on board. Um, this is the first time I've done a podcast in a couple of years, so... I'm feeling a bit rusty, but you're behaving and treating this like an absolute professional. So I love it. It's great. <laughs> All right. In order to directly jump into our topic, um, can you give us some sort of overview about uh, who you are and what you're currently doing with your time? Sure. Um, I'm a senior lecturer with Griffith College in Dublin, teaching on a variety of marketing and digital marketing modules in the business faculty. Um, before that, I was working with HubSpot as a trainer. Before that, I ran a digital marketing academy. Before that, I was teaching for the Digital Marketing Institute. And then before that, I was teaching for various business schools around, uh, around Ireland, around Dublin. I've been speaking at different conferences as well um, for the last couple of years. And right now, we're recording in the middle of COVID-19 lockdown, which is crazy. So um, I'm, I'm keeping pretty well. Um, I'm hanging out with my fiance, I'm hanging out with my dogs, I'm doing DIY in the house and I'm trying to make the best of it to be honest. Yeah, I think that's the best we can do. And I had a slight idea about what you're doing, but you're doing really doing a lot of things. <laughs> that's impressive. And uh you've already talked about the situation that we're currently in um since we find ourselves in this very yeah, uncertain and challenging coronavirus pandemic. You, as a kind of thought leader in the field, do you see any chances um, or are there any chances you can think of regarding digital transformation uh, that the current situation may offer, possibly? Sure, yeah. So I suppose there's, there's quite a bit of elements of digital transformation that I'm seeing happening at present. So there's parts of digital transformation around operations and people management that we're seeing. So, for example, there's a lot of businesses that would have been bricks and clicks traditionally that are now setting up e-commerce platforms and they're selling a lot more online or they're selling online plus their stores. There's a lot more remote working, so a lot more people working from home. So that's kind of the people operation side of digital transformation. Um, I'm not so in touch with the DT industry at present, given that we're in a lockdown, so I don't know what projects have been greenlit. I do know that there's a couple of projects that were previously greenlit but have now stalled, so the budget still remains, but the project launch hasn't actually happened. Um, mm -hmm. So I do foresee in the, in the medium term there could be a suppression of budgets on DT projects, but at present I see DT is really happening in the in terms of staffing and workforce and a little bit around processes and provision of e-commerce websites or material online um i'd see in the medium term customer experience is and it has been growing as a priority for, since 2016 and i think that's going to continue to be a priority particularly if businesses who are traditionally a bricks and mortar or bits and clicks model 
now have to really go and perform in a lockdown where customers can't or won't visit their locations. I think this is really thought-provoking to see it from that perspective and to also have a look at opportunities next to all the misery that's happening. But in order to come back to your career path, I'm sure you remember this strange but also really beautiful feeling when you're just graduating school or college and you have all those possibilities right in front of you. But this can be very overwhelming. Have you been like this or are you one of those people who exactly know where life is guiding them and who've already figured it all out? And most importantly, what would your suggestion be for the ones who have not come up with a specific plan yet? Okay. Um, so yeah, I can, I can kind of remember that time you're talking about. It was about 15 years ago for me. So it's a little bit uh, back in my memory when I, when I graduated. Um, I graduated um, before the recession. So I got a couple of years in where I was able to work before all of my alma mater were basically unemployed pretty much because um, of the financial crisis. But for the first few years, it was good. I fell into banking just because it was the first job I got. It paid well and it was in the incredibly buoyant sector. I had no intention of getting into banking. Um, I started off in corporate banking and investment banking. So I didn't have a plan to go in there. My plan was to be a brand manager for Procter Gamble. And I had interviewed many times and never got a job with them. Um, so that was a bit of a funny one. But in terms of having a long-term career plan, I've read a lot of articles by people who've had it. And I think it's great if you do have it. I find most people in real terms either don't have their career plan really set. And if they do, they don't really achieve it exactly as planned. And I think that this goes back to the idea of you should plan based on priorities, not based on something that's too rigid. So your priority should be you want to work in a particular industry or have a certain income or do a certain type of job or work on certain types of products. So general priorities. But you might not actually achieve the goal of you saying, I want to work in Germany, in Berlin, in Procter Gamble, on a Gillette brand or something. If you're too specific, you might not achieve it. But I think if you career plan based on priorities and rough timelines, I think then it gives you the flexibility to be able to adapt to what you can get. Because your plan is a fictitious idea of what you want to achieve. The market actually then will give you what it's able to give you or not. The job you want might not exist or a better candidate might get it. So you also have to be adaptable. But I do fully agree with having a plan and trying to implement it as best you can. But you have to have the flexibility that it's not about you. It's about what the company wants at that time. And it may not be you. All right. So you would say that you shouldn't wait for the perfect entry level job, but just start with something that is in your interest in some way and then work towards what you believe your career should be like and then see if it's working out that way. Well, I don't, I don't believe that a perfect job exists at any entry level. Um, I think that one of two things happen. You get a job that you really like or you get a job and you learn to like it. And the, re the empirical research actually says that most people who are successful learn to like the job they're given. They don't necessarily always get the perfect job that they love. But back to your second point, yeah, I do believe that you should take a good job and get as many skills as you can from it. Um, so if you want to get a marketing job, but you don't get a marketing job as your first one, still treat it as though it was the job you always wanted. Give it your best, learn as much as you can, think about career progression up or across in the organization, 
And then if the right time comes for you to leave that organization or department into a job that you felt was more suited to your career plan, go do so. But career plans need to be adaptive. You might think you like marketing and realize you hate working in marketing, but love to study it because college and work are entirely different things. So you actually might find a job that you really like but it was never on your plan. Because again, your plan is not fully informed by reality. It's a fictitious idea that you come up with based on employer branding from websites, recruiters, and conferences you might attend. So you have to be adaptable to the first jobs you get and the next jobs you pursue after that point. I feel like this is something I should have heard years ago because I felt so pressured sometimes to decide for one path to take because I consider myself as a generalistic person because I'm interested in a lot of things and I just didn't want to miss out on topics and I love just to commit to uh, that one job but it keeps a lot of pressure away if you see it from your kind of perspective so uh, thank you for that and when you think about your own career so far what do you think was the most critical factor to your success is there anything um, I have a couple so I don't know if I have one um, and this is going to sound really silly of me but I think one big success factor was my mother and my grandfather. Um, so currently I'm a lecturer um, and I've been doing that since probably 2011, 2012. And I've been doing corporate training as well for about the last seven years. So what I'm saying here is my mom was a teacher and she instilled the love of teaching and the love of education and learning in me. And my grandfather instilled the same thing in her as well, because he really prided education in, in the family as an important thing. So I think that she helped shape me in terms of my overall career goal. And, and that kind of goes back to your question about career path. You know, in my head, I wanted to be working on brands and, you know, making money for private companies like in doing, you know, brand management. But what I actually found myself being really good at and loving it and just feeling completely in control of my career and my job was when I was teaching or doing corporate training. Um, so I think she helped shape me. And then in preparation for this podcast, um, I've been reflecting on advice from previous managers. Um, and funny enough, I think it was probably my third manager, Liam, um, when I was working in a, in a buying department, buying in product, I was a retail analyst. And uh, he actually shaped a lot of my thinking because I came into him having done a bit of banking, no marketing in terms of real marketing experience, working in a real marketing uh, style department. And he really shaped my thinking. And there was a lot of just simple advice that was never structured one-to-one -one meetings. It was, he'd just say something to me along the corridor or I'd say something to him at my desk and he'd be like, oh, here's something else to consider. And the, I probably learned more from him in the year or so that I was with him than I did in some semesters in college. Because, you know, in college, you learn a lot. But again, the world of work is an entirely different animal and you learn in a very different way there. So I think Liam was formative and I think um, my mom and grandfather were formative as well for me. So it's more about the mentoring aspect for you yeah. um, in order to uh, consider your success or the base of your success. Yeah, I think I think at the early part of your career, I think mentoring is very important because mentoring is about kind of giving you the information you lack. And I think when you have the confidence, emotional intelligence, experience and insight as you build yourself over your career, then I think more of the coaching model can work. I think coaching can still come in at the start of your career, but I think a little bit of mentoring before the coaching really kicks in can really help someone who's just entering their career. 
back to your point because you said mentors i do think everyone should have at least one or two mentors and i generally find that the mentor assigned to you by your hr department in your company is not going to be the best mentor for you they might be very good but sometimes the best mentors i've had were people that i just knew in industry that we developed a bond and a mentor relationship developed organically without us ever having to use the word mentor all right this is not something that you apply for so it's a relationship between someone you can look up to and learn from and um yeah it just happens it can yeah and and it, it can just happen but if you want to get maximum bang for your book on it and um, it's good if you set up some structure so for example one of my current mentors i did say to him look we've known each other for a couple of years you've given me great advice can we work in a mentor style relationship which means maybe we meet once a quarter i buy him lunch he gives me two or three hours of his time he asks me deeply probing questions that i need to really think about and i come back maybe two or three months later with answers and a plan and maybe actions done and he's constantly my background spotter but there's that bit of structure he's already been a mentor and a coach to other people and i've already been mentored and coached for years so we we knew what structure to put on the relationship where if you just kind of say organically oh someone's going to tell me and give me advice generally that's all it will be it won't be the the maximum effect or maximum benefit for you so if you're going to be mentored do some research into what that process looks like in terms of how to get a good mentor questions to ask them what to do as a person being mentored so don't just let the process happen organically otherwise it won't yeah yeah i see that is there anything when we see it from the other side is there anything you would try to do differently from today's perspective in your career uh, maybe at the beginning or is there a job that you would have um, considered as a better one from now nowadays perspective or wouldn't you do anything other the way that you did yeah actually yeah i've been thinking of that um There's quite a, there's a lot of things I would have done differently um, and I think it's important to learn what you would have done differently so you don't make mistakes again or you make improvements in the future but you also have to take it on the chin and forget it and say the past is the past the future is the only thing that matters so if I was to focus on one I think one thing I would have done is I would have gotten into digital marketing a lot sooner so I think I got into it at a good time in Ireland I got in studying it and then training and teaching in it I think 2011 2012 but with what I know now I think I probably would have preferred to get into it maybe 2008 2009 so that I could be very senior and a real deep expert at a European level by 2000 and maybe 12 as opposed to just someone who was starting off with some small recognition in industry at that point so I would have tried to kind of become position myself as a European or global expert by the period of 2013 as opposed to only enter the market and get some recognition in Ireland alone by that point in time. So go bigger and go earlier is what I would have done differently. I think this is something really important that you mentioned that um, the past is the path and you can't really change it, but it's important to reflect about it in order to learn from it. Yeah, this is something we will take away. <laughs> Obviously, you like what you do, but is there anything that you love most about one of your jobs or all of them sure yeah so what do i love about um about teaching and and corporate training i love there's when there's a point whether you're doing um 
a case study or you're reviewing a video or an article or something, but there's a point generally you can see within different groups or different, even different learners where they hit the aha moment and there's been something that they're, they don't understand or they're struggling to get to grips with or there's something they thought they knew and they didn't fully understand it and now you've just opened or unlocked this new level of depth for them. Um, and, and that's what I love. And I've, I've seen it in many different scenarios in different, different groups, whether it be undergrads, MBAs, corporate training. And basically it's that moment where someone reaches their own conclusion for themselves. And it could be after weeks of class or it could be just after you've said something very insightful and then they've reflect, reflected on it. And now they're like, wow, I see the world quite differently or I see this particular area of business quite differently that's what I love because every day I go in and I give examples and I teach theories and frameworks and practice and that's kind of just like teaching an IKEA instruction book here's a thing to follow and it's not profound in your in your understanding it's really not like it's all great stuff but it's not profound and life-altering it's just like a really advanced instruction book or a playbook but when you can challenge someone's belief systems about how they see business or how they see their role in business and then they really think about it differently, to me, that's the best thing. It's when you actually have a profound impact on someone's life rather than just having maybe an incremental impact by teaching them how to do what they do, but slightly better or slightly differently. I totally understand that. Um, I, I love those days when you work together with people and you have really great results that you look back after let's say a project or a week of working together this is really cheering yourself and you as a team totally up yeah I love that as well oh absolutely and you have to celebrate successes um I can't remember which company I was in but there was one company I was in and after that point I recognized that they constantly celebrated success of people and projects and they always made a deal of it and they always had a bit of budget for like a little party when something good happened And th that's great from an emotional perspective for your staff or from a HR and L&D perspective. The idea that if people want to succeed and do better and they constantly put in all the extra hours because everyone's going to do that. This nine to the whole nine to five thing is a myth. You know, that's written on a corporate website. You will work a lot harder than on the website or your job spec ever tells you. But the reason people do that, aside from their own desire for career progression and all the stuff on Maslow's hierarchy One of the reasons people do it is so they can celebrate with their colleagues. So they can say, yes, we got there together. We achieved this. How amazing is that? And something as simple as a thank you and a well done or a big plaque and a celebration or anything in the middle. We all, just celebrating success is recharging our emotional reserves, basically. I know that sounds very HR and that's not my background. I, so I apologize to anyone who's in a HR background who can tell me how basic my understanding is. But celebrate success, particularly if you're a people manager, celebrate the success of your staff. Yes, it was actually on our to-do list when we had a film shoot in our last semester and our lecturer of uh, project management put it on our to-do list as part of the project because he said it's really, really important. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I love it. I love that. It's already my last question. Can you name a book or other source of inspiration that influenced you in a positive way and that you can recommend? Absolutely. That's actually the easiest and most direct question I can give you an answer to. Um, 
Jack Welch's book called Winning. Um, I read it probably every four years. Every person that I meet, I tell them to read it. Um, I've read it about three or four times now. And every time I do, I get something new. Um, Jack Welch, um, who has sadly passed, um, is a former, former CEO of General Electric Corporation, an incredibly accomplished businessman. And the book that he wrote, Winning, was one of several books. And it's got about five chapters, depending on the different stages in your life, whether you're a student who's recently graduating, you're a graduate within the first three years of your career, you're a first-time people manager, you're a seasoned mid-level exec, or you're a high exec who's in a CEO position or a, a board of directors position. And each chapter, because that's they're potentially the different life cycle stages of alums and graduates who are going to listen to the, this podcast. Each one of those stages has lots of examples and insights from his experience and people that he's interviewed for the book. And it's literally like just sitting down with your own mentor and just getting guidance and they're telling you what happened to them, what they did differently, not making a judgment on it. And they're just kind of reflecting on their thought processes. So you have to reach your own judgments. Um, but if you, if you get a copy of that book and read it maybe every four or five years when you're at different stages of your career, oh, it's, it's very good. Now, you might not like the book at all, but I found it to be great and I recommend it to everyone who I speak with. It's a good book, definitely worth reading or worth getting the podcast versions of. Yeah, this is what we want to hear about, about your recommendations. So I will definitely check it out <laughs> and maybe some others will as well. So thank you for that. And I would say... This was a great first interview. Thank you so much, Rob, again, for being the interesting and motivating person you are. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, thank you, Julia. This was a fantastic interview. And I would not believe that it was your first time. You were an absolute pro. Mm -hmm.